Well, hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. We are going back to a show we played on the 1st of August, back in 2016. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. I'm neutral, and my show is neutral, and we just don't do that sort of thing. Well, I'm sorry if it's a disappointment. Okay. All right. What's that? Actually, we have, a, we have an episode of Dragnet tonight. It's a two-parter. I didn't know that was your favorite. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to play it more often. Is, is he there? We'll, well, we'll tell Bill that, that there's an episode of Gunsmoke tonight, too. All right, Hillary, look, people are coming in. I, I got to go. Okay, bye-bye, thanks. Well, hello, everybody. Come on in. Come on in. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to Boomer Boulevard. This is the show where we play old-time radio shows we actually remember from when we were kids. Now, maybe we remember them from television but they started on radio, and some of us even remember listening to some of these shows on radio. Why? Because we're baby boomers. But everybody's welcome, so if you like good old-time radio shows, you've come to the right place, because the shows we play have crystal clear sound. So why don't you make yourselves comfortable, get yourselves something to drink, prop your feet up, because tonight we have an episode Dragnet. We have an episode of the Jack Benny Show that's very funny, and we're going to finish things up with Gunsmoke, and it all gets started in just a minute.
Well, to get things rolling this week, we are going to start off with a two-part episode of Dragnet. This originally was broadcast on NBC on the 28th of December in 1952, and then the second part was broadcast, what was it, January 3rd, I think? It'd be a week later, so January 3rd, uh, 1953. And the name of this one is The Big Mask, Parts 1 and 2. You know, Dragnet fell into this, in my opinion, kind of a trap. They, they wanted to name everything the big this and the big that. You know, the big gulp, the big gun, the big bullet, the big confession. Uh, every show had that. And to me, this one doesn't much fit. I mean, yeah, there's a mask involved, but it's on a guy that's five foot two. And I don't know why it's the big mask. But anyway. It's a pretty good episode, sound quality's good, and it does have uh, Ben Alexander in it, and that always makes it better. So here we go. Jack Webb is Joe Friday, and Ben Alexander is Frank Smith in Dragnet, The Big Mask. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. A series of holdups takes place in your city. The victims are managers of large markets. You've got a description of the suspect. Your job, get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department... You will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Thursday, February 7th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out a robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from R&I, and it was 8.42 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery. Hey, you, Joe? Yeah. Where you been? Down to R&I. Oh, I'm sorry I'm late. No, there's no problem. Couldn't get the car started. The battery was dead. I had to call the gas station and have them get me started. Well, don't worry about it. It's okay. Anything here in the book? No. Checked him when I got in. Had a 211 out in Westwood last night. Same M.O. Might be the guy. Who's checking it? Murph and Creasy. Went out there this morning. Here's the stuff we got last night. R&I went through it. Doesn't look like they got anything. You seen the skipper yet? No, I saw him come in. I didn't talk to him. Came in, went to his office carrying a bottle of milk. Well, that figures. He's like a barometer, isn't he, Joe? When there's no milk on his desk, you know everything's under control. Yeah. As soon as that milk comes out, you know the ulcers are grinding. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, it must be real rough on him, though. The way the papers have been yakking about this thing. I saw Captain Jack this morning on the way in. Yeah. He said the corner pocket's leaning all over him. Well, there's got to be an answer someplace. The guy can't just keep walking into the stores and walking out again. He's got to make a mistake someplace. Yeah. What's it figure? Six jobs so far? Yeah, six of them. Every one of them, he's made it clean. Hot shot. I'll get it. Well, those figures were wrong. Yeah? He just made it seven. For the past two months, a holdup man had been hitting markets throughout the central area. In each case, the description of the bandit was the same. 
His M.O. tallied with that used in other robberies. In each instance, the bandit had been waiting for the manager of the market when the store was opened. At gunpoint, the suspect would force the manager to accompany him around the market. He'd push a wire food cart in front of him as they walked. He'd pick up various merchandise and place it in the basket. He'd then force the manager to open the safe, clean it out, lock the manager in a cold storage vault, and walk out of the market pushing the food cart in front of him. Special stakeouts had been arranged at the markets. Extra units from Metro Division had been assigned to patrol duty, but the holdups continued. 9.22 a.m., Frank and I got to the address of the latest robbery, the county market at the corner of Olympic and Maryland. A radio car was there when we arrived. Come in. Yes, something you wanted? Police officers. It's my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday. Hello, I'm Arthur Scott. I'm the manager here. You got that man did this yet? No, sir, not yet. I wonder if you could tell us just what happened. Sure. You know where the other officers are, Mr. Scott? Outside someplace. They were talking to the others, getting names and addresses, something like that. You want to check them, Frank? Yeah, sure. Fine. I wonder if you'd mind telling me just what happened. Well, the man was waiting for me when I came in this morning. I don't know how he got in. He just walked up behind me and said that I shouldn't cause any trouble. About what time was this, do you remember? Well, let's see. It must have been about uh, 7.10, 7.15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came in the front door. Everything looked all right. Walked back here on my way to the office. He just came up in back of me. Yes, sir. He had this gun. He pointed at me and told me not to cause any trouble, like I said. What kind of a gun was it? Would you remember? It was just a gun. and pointed it right at me. Well, I understand that, sir. Do you remember if it was an automatic or a revolver? I guess it was a revolver, a long barrel. Uh-huh. I could see the bullets in it. I knew it was loaded. I wasn't going to mess with him. Yes, sir. And what happened after he walked up to you? He told me that if I went along with him, I wouldn't get hurt. And then he walked me up to the front of the store by the check stands, uh, took one of the baskets, and started to walk along the racks. Made me walk in front of him. Real nervy. Took his time. Mm-hmm. Well, while we walked along, he'd take things out of the displays. What kind of things? Well, you know, uh, different kind of cheeses, uh, caviar, took some special artichoke hearts. Things cost a buck and a half a jar. Expensive. Yes, sir. What did the man look like, Mr. Scott? Can you give us any kind of a description? Well, that's kind of hard. He had on this uh, big overcoat and a brown hat pulled down, and then the black mask over his face. I couldn't get a very good look at him. Well, how old would you say he was? Oh, boy, I'd have to guess on that. Maybe uh, 50, 55. Looked that old anyway. About all I could see was the bottom part of his face, like he was pretty old. Mm-hmm. How about the color of his eyes? Could you see them? Yeah, through the mask, they were blue. Real light blue, kind of watery. About how tall would you say he was? Maybe uh, five, two, or three. Short little man. Mm-hmm. How about his weight? Real little, like I said. I, I don't think he weighed more than 130. That'd be outside, too. Was there anything unusual about him? Anything at all that you could remember? No, not that I can remember. Anything in the way he talked? Some accent of any kind? Anything like that? No, nothing at all there. Uh-huh. How about the coat he was wearing? What color was that? Do you remember? It was a dark brown, sort of a herringbone. Looked real old, like it had been worn for a long time, kind of frayed around the edges of the cuffs. You know, around here like this, and, and the buttonholes on the coat were all torn, too. Oh, excuse me. Yes, sir, go right ahead. Scott? Yeah. How much? Yeah, and how much case? Mm-hmm. Nah, that's not too bad. Yeah, well, order 25 cases of it, huh? We'll use it as a loss leader this weekend. Okay. Well, don't bother me about it now. You do what you think. Okay. Seems like nobody can do anything but you. Give people a little responsibility. They hardly ever know how to use it. Yes, sir. What if you'd go ahead with your story? Hmm? Well, right after this man picked up the food? Oh, well, at first I thought he was going to take that. 
And then I got to thinking about the stuff in the papers. You know about the black mask bandit? Yes, sir. Well, I got to thinking about that, and then I knew who he was. I tried to get as much information about him as I could. Not much, anyway. About this time, must have been uh, 7.30 or so. Jack Thomas came in. He works in the vegetable department. And right away, this guy said for him to get in the back. You mean back here? No, back in the meat department. Put him right in the refrigerator. Well, what about the other employees? What happened when they came in? He'd make them get back in the refrigerator. Cold. People were pretty lucky. Being so it was cold outside, most of them had coats on. Would have froze if they didn't have. I understand. Customers, too. They'd come in, he'd put them in the refrigerator. There was 14 people in there when he got through. A couple of kids, too. Came in with their mothers. I see. Well, then he took me back to the safe, made me open it. I thought about saying no, but it's a little safe, you know, down low? Yes, sir. Well, I knelt down to work the combination. I looked up at him, had the gun pointed right at my head. I looked right into the barrel, saw the bullets in the cylinders. I was scared, and I opened the safe. He took the money and put it in a paper bag and dropped it into the basket. And he put you in the refrigerator, too, did he? Yeah, that is, he started to when he opened the door. The people in there were all shivering, flailing their arms around, trying to keep warm. It's a little room, not much bigger than this, and there wasn't much room to flail. Anyway, they asked him if he wouldn't let him out. He, he said no, but then he asked me if there was someplace else he could put him. And I, I told him that the only place I could think of was another storage room. We use it sometimes when we got a real big shipment of meat. Don't usually keep it under refrigeration. I see. They let you all go there, huh? Yeah, the darndest thing I ever saw. Fourteen of them. All fourteen herded them just like cattle. Moved them all to the other cooler. They were all so cold they'd have done anything to get out of that one. I tell you, officer, I was scared that one of them might try to be brave about it and cause trouble. I think that guy would have killed him right on the spot. Yes, sir. Well, what'd he do then? Well, he locked the door. Then, from what I could see through the cooler window, he just strolled out of the store and down the street. He was still wheeling a basket in front of him. Yes, sir. Anything, Frank? Yeah, Joe. I checked with Wheelock from the radio car. He said they canvassed the neighborhood, came up with a man who thinks he saw the bandit drive away. Was he able to give us any kind of a description on the car? No. Said he saw this guy walking down the street pushing a basket and thought it was kind of funny. Didn't pay too much attention to it. Saw him get into a late model Ford and drive away. Couldn't give a very good description of the car. Said it was a dark color. Not sure about the year. Uh, the guy still had that mask on? No. Didn't have the mask, but the fellow didn't notice anything about his face. Can't help us much there. He's going to come down and look through the mug books. Oh, that's good. Do you have any idea how much money was taken here, sir? Well, no, I can't tell you to the penny, but I figure about $3,500. You usually keep this much money on hand, do you? No, not as a rule. I didn't get to the bank yesterday. We had an inventory sale going on. I just didn't get the chance. Did the bandit take anything you think might uh, help us identify him? Anything from the safe that you might be able to describe? No, not a thing. Just the money. Of course, that's enough. There wasn't much in there. A wristwatch, it was lost here in the store. He looked at that, but threw it back into the safe. Was he wearing gloves, do you remember? Yeah, he was. Uh, looked like pigskin, sort of a light tan. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know what you're thinking about, fingerprints. No, with those gloves, he wouldn't leave any. Yes, sir. Say, officer. Yeah? You talked to the other officer that was here, the one in the car? Yes, sir, I did. Uh, he was kind of in charge of the people in the icebox, took care of them. Was any of them hurt? No, sir. Some of them were pretty cold, but they were all right. Yeah, we keep that box turned way down to sub-zero. Yes, sir. I wonder if, as police officers, you'd mind talking to those folks. They're all good customers here. I'd hate to lose them to Frenchy's fine foods down the street. Uh, where's that, sir? Uh, Frenchy's market just down the street. He's going to make a big thing out of this. By noontime, it'll be all over the neighborhood. Well, I'm sure none of your customers will blame you, sir. Well, no, officer, it ain't exactly that. That Frenchy's going to make a big reputation on my back. Well, Mr. Scott, markets have been held up before. Yeah, but not with our motto. What's that? We freeze anything. Now, 
9.46 a.m., Frank and I continued to talk to Arthur Scott. We questioned him about the actions of the holdup man, but he was unable to give us any new information. The crime lab came out and checked the store. The M.O. was the same. He'd entered through a rear window. Tool marks were found. Photographs were taken. No other physical evidence was found. 10.14 a.m., we drove back to the office and checked with Captain Didion. Three other teams of men were assigned to help us in interviewing the people who had been locked up in the refrigerator. None of them could add anything to what we already knew. Because of the age of the bandit and the smoothness with which he operated, we had a hunch that he might have served some time in a state prison. Frank and I checked out a trip car and drove up to Folsom Penitentiary. We checked with Warden Heinze and told him what we wanted. For the next two days, we checked the prison files. We got several possible leads, but when we got back to Los Angeles, none of them led anywhere. Tuesday, February 12th, 8.49 a.m. We checked with Captain Didion. Well, you come up with anything? No, not a thing, Skipper. We checked them all out. Nothing. How much longer do you figure it's going to take you to come up with something we can use? We're doing everything we can. We've run down every lead. They all go nowhere. Yeah, I know. I've been telling the corner pocket that all month. It doesn't prove a thing, and they aren't buying it anymore. Well, Frank and I got an idea, Skipper. It's kind of wild, but my turn it. Well, let's hear it. If you take a look at the map over here. Now, the last two months, he's hit seven places here. Here, through here, and up and through here. Not much of a pattern, but maybe there's enough to work on here. Mm -hmm. From the way he's worked in the past, he's going to be waiting in the stores when the manager comes in. So the problem is to find some way to check the managers after they first get to the stores. So? Well, so most of the stores open about 8 o'clock. From what we've been able to check out, the managers get in about, oh, 6.30 to 7. We make arrangements for them to call the office after they're in the stores, and they've checked them through. How are you going to work the calling? Well, Frank and I figured that if we could stagger the call, so we'd get one at, say, 6.30, next one at 6.31 or 6.32, you know, and so forth. We allow them five minutes leeway. If we haven't heard from them in that time, then we know something's wrong. See? How many men do you figure you're going to need to do this? Well, maybe two, three other teams. Those and the men from Metro that we have now. It's wild, Skipper, but it's about the only thing we got left. How long will it take you to check with the store owners? Well, maybe two, three days. We figured we'd keep it in this area right over here. There seems to be maybe where he'll hit next. Now, just a minute. Robbery, did he? Yeah. When? They sure about the ammo? Mm-hmm. Description? Send it in, will you? Right. Better enlarge that area. What do you mean? He just hit in Sacramento. Tuesday, February 12th, 3.45 p.m. Frank and I talked on the phone to Fritz Kaminsky, chief of police in Sacramento. He told us that the market bandit went through the same sequence of events that had characterized his operations in Los Angeles. First, he took several food items from the display stands in the store, and then he forced the manager to open the safe. After robbing the safe, the thief locked the manager in a meat refrigeration locker and left the store. A witness in the neighborhood saw the suspect leave the store and said that he'd escaped in a late model dark Ford sedan. He was unable to give us much of a description of the man, but he said that he was elderly, small, and that he'd been dressed in a brown overcoat and a brown hat, and he wore a black mask. There could be little doubt that it was the same man who had been hitting the markets in the Southland. Wednesday, February 13th, Frank and I checked out a trip car, and we drove up to Sacramento. We talked with the victim and with the witness. Both of them were unable to find the thief's picture in the mug books. Stakeouts were arranged on the markets in the Sacramento area, and additional bulletins were gotten out on the Ford sedan. Frank and I returned to Los Angeles and started to set up the plan that we discussed with Captain Didion. Each of the store managers agreed to cooperate, and starting the morning of February 18th, the plan was put into operation. Three weeks passed. The bandit failed to hit again. 
March 18th, 6.37 a.m. Robbery, Murphy. What's that number? Yes. Robbery, Smith. Yes, sir. Okay, thanks. Number 38, okay. Right, still no word from 34. We better get ready to roll on it. Let's see. That's that supermarket on Palmetto Avenue. That's right. Let's go, Murph. Yeah? Catch the rest of the calls, will you? Yeah, sure, Joe. What do you think, Joe? I don't know. Let's find out. It took us a little over five minutes to get to the store on Palmetto. As we went by the place, we couldn't see anyone through the front windows. The store looked empty. Frank pulled the car into the parking lot next door to the store, and we walked around to the front. How about it? No, I can't see anything from here. You want to cover the bank? Yeah. I'll give you time to get back there, then I'll go in the front. Right. Watch it. I tell you, I don't know the combination. I don't want any trouble. I'm trying to be nice. I don't want to hurt you. Open the safe and everything will be all right. You read the papers. You know about me. Now, do what I say and nothing will happen. All right, mister. Let's hold it right there. Police officers, put that gun down. Now, watch it, Joe. He's coming at you. Get out of my way. All right, come here. You okay, Joe? Yeah, I got him, Frank. Want to shake him down? Right. Here. You got him? You got the gun? Yeah, we got him. I was sure scared there for a minute. I tried to think about how I was going to stall him long enough for you to get here. Yeah. He's clean, Joe. All right, come on, mister. On your feet. Come on. What's your name? Clark. Leonard Clark. All right, let's go. You want me to go along with you? Yeah, well, I want you to make a crime report. Fine, I'll, I'll do anything to help try to rob me. Lousy deal. Might have known something was wrong the way that guy played it. Should have known. Yeah, sure. You figure me for the guy you're looking for, this black mask bandit the paper's been yawking about? That's the way we figure it. Well, too bad, fellas. You can't make me for it. Is that right? Yeah, you're looking for somebody else. You got the wrong man. How old are you, Clark? Fifty-two. Ever serve any big time? Sure. What's that proof? Well, the way you look, the way you work this one, even the mask, we made you for it. Only one thing. What's that? You got to prove it. a.m. We took Leonard Clark downtown to the city hall. We talked to him for about an hour. He admitted trying to hold up the market, but he insisted that he was not the black mask bandit. He told us that he'd read about the holdups in the paper and that it seemed like an easy way to pull a robbery. He told us that he'd used a pinch bar to jimmy a rear window in the market and then he entered the place. He told us that he'd waited for the manager to come in and then he tried to get him to open the safe. Sergeants Murphy and Creasy went out to his home. They found nothing there to tie him in with the other robberies. A check through R&I showed a record on Clark listing two convictions for 211 and one count of 245 PC. He'd served time at both San Quentin and Folsom penitentiaries, as well as some of the eastern penitentiaries. Mug shots of Clark were shown to the victims of the black mask bandit, and they said that it was a possibility that he could be the man who'd robbed them. Friday, March 21st, a special show-up was arranged, and the victims were asked to be present. We explained that the questions asked were for the express purpose of acquainting the victims with the suspect's voice. Clark was brought out on the stage and asked his name. Leonard Clark. What were you arrested for? I don't know. You must know what you're being held for. They say I'm the black mask bandit. Are you? No. Were you armed when you were arrested? Huh? Were you armed when you were arrested? Yeah. What kind of weapon were you carrying? 38 revolver. Leonard, could you speak a little louder, please? 38 revolver. How long have you been in jail? Since Tuesday. Where were you arrested? Market out on South Palmetto. It's a long street. Where on South Palmetto? 1721 South Palmetto. What were you doing there? I was arrested for trying to hold up the place. You ever done any big time? Huh? I say you ever done any big time? Yeah. 
Where? At Kill and Folsom. What'd you do the time for, Leonard? Which time? Well, let's take him in order. How about Quentin? Five to life for robbery. How about Folsom? Same thing. You owe any time now? Yeah, I'm on parole. Joe. Yeah. Ask him to turn around, will you? The victims can't see him too good. All right. Leonard, take a quarter turn to your left. No, 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 Leonard, to your left. Uh-huh. All right, now another quarter turn. Another quarter turn. Now another quarter turn. No, no, same way, another quarter turn. Yeah. Now face the front, Leonard. Where do you live? Out in Hollywood. Where? Corner of DeLon, Prey, and Monroe, apartment house. It's a good-sized corner. Which apartment? Ashley Arms, apartment 604. What do you do for a living? I'm a copner. A what? Copner, copner, I said. You work steady? Yeah. Who do you work for? I'm a copner for a contractor named Gagely. Now look straight, will you, Leonard? Straight ahead. Yeah. You remember where you were on February 7th? That was a Thursday. No. You got no idea at all? Not at all. You own a car? Yeah. What make is it? It's a Ford. Speak up, will you, Leonard? We can't hear you. A Ford. Ford. What color is it? Dark blue. What year? 1950. All right, Leonard. Now, would you step over to the side of the stage? No, no, the other way. The side of the stage. Nothing yet. Manager at the county market seems to think it's him. The others aren't sure. Yeah. Well, maybe when we get the coat and mask on, it'll help. Those clothes, Leonard, are they yours? Yeah, they're mine. How about that mask? That belong to you, too? Yeah. Would you put the mask on? Well, just put it on. That's it. Now put the hat on. Not the way you usually wear it? That's right. All right. Take a quarter turn to your left. No, Leonard, your left. That's it. Now again. And again. Once more. All right, now face forward. Now all the way around. Come on, Leonard, straight forward. Out this, that's it. Yeah. Now repeat these words. Just be quiet and you won't get hurt. Just be quiet and you won't get hurt. Now say, open the safe and don't cause any trouble. Safe, don't cause any trouble. A little louder, Leonard. Open a safe and don't cause any trouble. All right, Leonard, you can take the mask off. How many times have you been arrested? I don't know. About how many times would you say? Maybe 15, something like that. What'd you fall for? Suspicion. Suspicion of what? A lot of things. They didn't nail me for them. How old are you now, Leonard? 52. How old were you when you were arrested the first time? 16. You've had quite a life, haven't you? Yeah, I fell among evil companions. All right, Leonard, that's all. Well, how about it, Mr. Scott? Yeah, I can't be sure, Sergeant, but I think that's mine. Can I see a minute, Joe? Mm-hmm. Scott just gave a tentative identification. Yeah, well, he's the only one. What do you mean? The others say we got the wrong man. p.m. We returned Leonard Clark to his cell. Frank and I continued to question the victims of the black-masked bandit. Only one of them was able to give us a tentative identification. 
Clark would be filed on the following morning for attempting to rob the market on Palmetto Avenue pending investigation on the other charges. The working detective has come to know that many times at a show-up, identifying witnesses sometimes become confused, sometimes fail to speak up for one reason or another, sometimes due to fear, the idea of incriminating a man, thus making the officer's task of bringing a suspect to justice all the more difficult. In spite of the lack of identifying witnesses, Frank and I felt reasonably sure that we had the black masked bandit in custody. The following morning, March 22nd, we checked into the office to fill out the follow-up forms. You know, Joe, I just can't figure it. He's got to be it. He's got the motive, the opportunity, everything. Yeah, M.O. matches. We got him on one count anyway. What happens now? Well, I guess we just wait. If there aren't any more hold-ups, we know we got the right guy. It's about the only way you can do it. Anyway, you slice it, Clark's finished. The court gets through with him. This time, they'll nail him for life. Yeah, I suppose so. He sure looks like the guy to me, though. I tell you, Joey's got to be it. Mm-hmm. Everything fits with him, all the way down the line. That's what I figured, too. Friday, Smith? Yeah, yeah. Skipper. Call from Hollywood Division. Just had one at 3rd and Selma. Yeah, what about it? Black Mask Bandit. We haven't got him. The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 17th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Leonard Stanley Clark was tried and convicted of attempted robbery. Because of his previous criminal record, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without possibility of parole. He is now serving his term in the state penitentiary, Folsom, California. It was Saturday, March 22nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. We were on our way out from the office, and it was 9.36 a.m. when we got to 4623 Linwood. Bakery shop. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Police officers, ma'am. Oh, yes. You want to see Mr. Jenkins. He's in the back. Uh, right through that door. Thank you, ma'am. How is Mr. Jenkins? Well, he's all right. Got a bad cut on his head. The ambulance was here. Uh-huh. Do you know if there are any witnesses? I don't know. The other officers are checking it now, I guess. Mm-hmm. About how long have they been here? I'd say ten minutes. All right, ma'am. Thank you. Who is it? Police officer, sir. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. Oh, what happened to the other officer? Well, he left, Mr. Jenkins. A couple of questions we'd like to ask you about this. Yeah, sure. Pull up that chair there. Thanks very much. Yeah. You feel all right, sir? Yeah, headaches a little, but I feel okay. Guy from the ambulance said I should see my own doctor. I'm the one I'm going to get time to do that. It's nothing serious, a little cut. Yes, sir. Would you tell us just what happened here? Sure, there's not much to it. Where do you want me to start? Well, what time did the man come in? Oh, I see. It must have been about 6.30 this morning. I was just frying the donuts. I heard this knock on the back door and I let him in. What do you look like, sir? Well, just like the descriptions in the paper. That's how I knew it was the black masked bandit. Had the overcoat on, the hat, and the mask on his face. Was he carrying a gun? Yeah, it looked like thirty-eight revolver, long barrel. Mm-hmm. What happened then? Well, at first I couldn't figure it. You know, I'd read in the paper where he was robbing markets. I couldn't figure what he was doing in a bakery. He was alone then, huh? Yeah, at least I couldn't see anybody with him. Well, go ahead, sir. Well, he came in and sat down, told me to go ahead with what I was doing. Sat right over there in that chair. Mm-hmm. Leaned back against the wall and just talked. What did he talk about, do you remember? Just not, nothing special. Then he asked me to hand him one of the donuts I'd finished. Said he wanted one of the chocolate ones. I gave it to him. He just leaned back and ate it. I see. I asked him what he wanted. Uh, why the gun, you know? Yes. He said he didn't want me to get any bright ideas. And he asked me how much money I had. Yeah. I told him I only had about 150 bucks, and he said that wasn't much. 
I said it wasn't, but it's all I had. And I asked him if he was going to rob me. What did he say to that? He said he probably would. Mm -hmm. All this time, did he keep the mask on? Yeah, I never took it off. How long was he here? Well, he got here, like I said, at 6.30. He left about 8.15, just before Vera came in. She's the one who found me. Vera? Yeah, she's the girl who takes care of the store. You probably saw her out front when you came oh, in. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, I finished up with the donuts, and then I asked him if he'd like a drink. I said I had some brandy locked up. I asked him if he'd like a shot. Mm-hmm. He said he would. I went over to get it. I, I keep it over there in that cupboard. And when I walked over, I had to walk right in front of him. Yeah. Well, you probably know it gets pretty hot in the bakery, the ovens and all. I guess he was kind of relaxed. Yeah. But when I walked by him, I grabbed his gun, took it right out of his hands, and he jumped up and told me to hand it over to him, said for me to give it back and I wouldn't get hurt. And I told him he had the shoe on the wrong foot that I was calling things now. Yes, sir. What do you do then? Well, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, if it hadn't happened to me, I'd never believe it. What's that? When I took the gun away from him, he looked real surprised. That's when I told him that I was the boss, and he just stood up and started to walk toward me. I told him to stop. I pointed the gun at him, told him to stay where he was. Yeah. But he didn't stop. He kept coming right at me. I told him again, but he kept right on walking. And then I fired at him. Well, it wasn't any farther away from him than 10, maybe 15 feet. Didn't hit him, so I pulled the trigger again. Shot right at him six times. Right at him. He just kept walking at me. Now, at first I thought the shells in the gun were blanks. And then I could see where the bullets were hitting. Well, there, you can see a couple of them in the wall. I couldn't believe my eyes. I missed him every time. What did he do right after you shot at him? When I fired the last shot, the gun clicked a couple of times. He just stopped and laughed. He said that I'd run out of bullets and that I'd better give the gun to him. Did you? Yeah, I threw it at him as hard as I could. I missed him then, too. The gun hit the floor and I could see the sparks fly. And then he picked it up and came after me. I didn't think I'd be in much trouble. He looked so little. But when he grabbed at me, I knew I'd had it. That man had hands like a vice. Mm -hmm. He grabbed my arm and hit me on the head right, right here. He knocked me out. He came to and Vera came in. The guy was gone, so was the money. Well, where'd you keep this money? In my pocket. I had it in my wallet. I don't, I don't usually put it in the cash register until Vera gets in. Oh, I see. Now, you said that when the gun hit the floor, you saw the sparks fly from it. Is that right? Yeah. You know, what? Uh, like when you hit a piece of flint with another rock, like the Boy Scout. Yeah. You know, like that. Did you notice that the gun seemed damaged in any way? No, I didn't have time to notice anything right after that he hit me. Uh, I wonder if you'd give us a description of the man. Well, sure, like I told the other officers, he was a little man, real old. How old would you say? Oh, maybe 50 or so, not any younger. You're pretty sure about that, are you? Yeah. About how tall? Maybe 5'2", not any more than that. Kind of hard to tell with that big coat on. It looked like it was five or six sizes too big. It looked kind of funny at first, then you realized who he was, and it wasn't funny anymore. Mm -hmm. I wasn't too scared of him when I first saw him, even when he came at me, but when he grabbed my arm, I knew I had trouble. Yes, sir. Still can't understand it. Six shots and I didn't hit him once. I tell you, the guy's not human. Well, he's scoring pretty good for a ghost. Ten oh two a.m. The crew from the crime lab came out and went over the bakery. Ray Pinker removed the slugs from the wall on the floor and took them back to the lab. The bandit, as usual, had worn gloves, so there was no possibility for fingerprints. A search of the neighborhood failed to turn up any new leads. None of the people in the immediate area had seen anyone answering the description of the black mask bandit. Additional supplementary bulletins were gotten out, and all of the cars in the surrounding vicinity were alerted. The stats office had made run after run on the M.O. of the bandit. The leads they gave us were all checked out. All gunsmiths were alerted in the event that the suspect's weapon had been damaged and that he might try to have it repaired. All leads were checked and rechecked. They netted us nothing. Informants were questioned and re-questioned. The plan that had been worked out for checking with the managers of the supermarkets in the city was continued. Three weeks passed. The bandit hit again, this time a market just outside of Eagle Rock. 
The M.O. was the same as had been used in the previous robberies. However, in this one instance, the market didn't have a storage refrigerator, so the thief locked the manager in a back room. In locking the door, the suspect had taken off his gloves, and Leighton Prince was able to lift a partial print from the doorknob. It wasn't enough for classification, but Bergman said that if we apprehended the man, he'd be able to identify him for us. June came and went. July, August. The bandit had been operating without interference for almost a year. He'd widened his theater of operations. Reports had come in from San Francisco to Stockton, from San Diego to Pomona. In each case, the suspect seemed to know what markets were being staked out, and he stayed away from them. The legwork continued without result. Tuesday, August 19th. Frank and I checked back into the office. Man, I never see it to fail. Every time we have lunch at Sal's, I eat too much. Yeah, he puts out a good lunch, doesn't he? Too good. Want to check the book? Right. Anything? Another call from Jerry. Informant? Yeah. Says he can't get with me tonight. He'll call in the morning. Friday? Smith? Yeah, Skipper. Yeah. Come on in here, will you? Right away. Sit down. All right. Well, what is it? You guys been on this black mask thing how long now? Well, it's going on a year, isn't it? And you're no closer to him than you were when you started. Not much. You know you're tying up half the minute Metro. You got this town covered like a blanket and you still can't turn the guy. We're doing everything we can, Skipper. I've been telling you for the last six months that I wasn't going to buy that anymore. I mean it this time. And just exactly what have you got on the guy? Well, I think you know it just as well as we do, Skipper. Description, M.O., even the partial print Bergman lifted from that place out in Eagle Rock. We've been over it a hundred times. Isn't a lead that we haven't run out and then checked over again. Nothing new on the information from Folsom? No, nothing. We've had 5,000 circulars printed. They're scattered all over the country. Doesn't look like the guy's ever done time before. The way it works, you'd think he knew exactly what we were doing. We cover the markets, he hits the bakeries. We cover the bakeries in L.A., he hits in San Diego. They cover the stores, then he hits up north. Where we are, he ain't. How about the car, the Ford? No, nothing. We got no license. You ever hear anything on the damaged gun? No, he never tried to have it fixed that we can find out about. He's gotten a hold of another gun someplace. Latest reports say he's using a revolver with a two-inch barrel. Well, where do you stand now? I don't know. We got every store from La Cienega to Alameda covered, from Hollywood Boulevard south to Jefferson. Big area. Yeah, it's a lot of stores, too. There's a cruiser car or a cop in or near every large store and bakery in that area. Every police unit in the city is looking for the guy. If he hits again, we should get him. You Friday? Yeah, Murr. The call just came in from Wilshire. Figure you want it. Here you go. Thank you. What is it? Yeah, we got the whole town waiting for him with open arms. Everything's set, and he pulls a switch. What is it, Friday? The black mask bandit. He's going in for kidnapping now. The local broadcast stated that the manager of one of the big supermarket chains in the city had been taken from his home about 2.30 in the morning. The bandit forced him to drive to the store and open the safe. The thief then bound the manager and left the premises. The manager gave us a complete description of the bandit, and locals and APBs were gotten out on him. In this instance, the thief didn't use his own car. He forced the manager to drive his car to the market. The manager told us that when they'd left the house, he hadn't seen any other cars on the streets. Tuesday, August 19th, 5.20 p.m., Frank and I got in touch with Lieutenant Dick Tiernan of the Sheriff's Robbery Squad. Together with him, we worked out a plan to try to keep the homes of the managers under surveillance. In addition to this, men from the Sheriff's Department aided in canvassing the houses of the owners and managers. Each car was assigned three houses, while other cars covered three markets each. A month passed. The black mask bandit hit five times, each time in areas which were not under direct surveillance. Friday, September 26, 5.20 a.m., we got a call at home that there had been another kidnapping, this time an elderly market manager and his wife. Frank and I drove out to see them. The radio unit had returned them to their home. Yes? Mr. Gunther? That's right. Police officers, Mr. Gunther. Oh, yes. Come in. 
You have some sort of identification? Yes, sir. Here's my ID card. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. How do you do? Come into the living room, won't you? Thank you very much, sir. Sit down. Hope you didn't mind my asking about your identification. Just that the way things have been happening, you can't be too sure. Yes, sir, we understand. I wonder if you'd mind telling us what happened. Sure. Awful thing. Awful. Just can't believe that a man his age would do a thing like this. Seems that he'd know not to be so cruel. Yes, sir. Just what did happen? Well, last night, must have been about 2 or 2.30, I woke up with this flashlight shining in my eyes. Mm-hmm. First, I didn't know what it was. Just this uh, real bright light, you know. Yes, sir. Well, right away, of course, I knew there was somebody else in the room. About that time, Agnes woke up. Agnes is my wife. Yes, sir. Anyway, she woke up, wanted to know what was going on. I told her I didn't know. All this time, that light didn't move. Just stayed in one place and shone right in my eyes. Yes, sir. Then we heard this voice tell us to get out of bed. Said he wanted me to go with him. I told him to get out of the house. Said I didn't want any trouble. If he wanted money, he'd find all we had in the house right on the dresser with my wallet. Mm-hmm. Could you see who the person was, sir? No, not then. Uh, the light and all. But I got out of bed, and then I could see a little old man with a black mask over his eyes. How could you tell his age, sir? Well, just could, that's all. Little beady eyes, and his mouth mean. Never saw a mouth like that on a young man. His voice was old, I could tell. Yes, sir. Well, he told me to get dressed, said that I should hurry up about it. Was he armed? Could you tell that? Yes, I could see it. He was holding a gun. All this time, Agnes was yelling at him to get out of the house. Uh, She's not well, you know. Yes, sir. Agnes, she has a bad heart. Uh Been to the doctor for years, takes pills and medicine. That's the big reason that I did what he said. I didn't want there to be any trouble to get Agnes excited. I understand. Well, finally I told him if he'd get out of the room and leave her alone, I'd do what he wanted. Not to give him any cause to hurt anyone. Mm-hmm. Then he did about the meanest thing he could have done. Told Agnes to get out of bed. Said for her to get up and get dressed and go with us. Just can't understand why he'd want to do a thing like that. Just plain meanness. Yes, sir. Did your wife do what he said? Well, at first she said she wouldn't do it. Really told him off. I thought he'd maybe get mad and hit her. He's mean enough to do it. Hmm. And finally, I asked her to do what he wanted. Figured that'd be the easiest way of getting him out of the place. I thought that maybe I could talk him out of taking her with us, but I couldn't. He made you leave the house then? Yeah. Told me to get the car out of the garage, and then he and Agnes get in the back seat. Made me drive down to the store. Did you notice any other cars in the area? Any cars parked near your house that weren't usually there? No. On the way to the store, though, I saw a police car. I thought about trying to attract their attention... He must have thought about it, too, though. Why'd he say that? Well, he told me that if I did anything to call attention to us, he'd kill Agnes. I think he would have, too. I didn't do anything to get him upset. Yes, sir. Well, we got to the market, and he made me open the safe, and then he took the money and tied us up. I begged him not to tie Agnes. I've never done that before, Sergeant. I'm 52, and I've never begged a man for anything. But I did this time. Begged him not to kill Agnes. I knew that if he tied her up like he said he was going to, it'd kill her. Pleaded with him, but it didn't do any good. Tied her up and put that tape over her mouth. One thing I can say for him, though, just one. He called the police and told them where we were. If he hadn't done that, I think we'd have both died. Agnes almost suffocated. Where's your wife now, Mr. Gunther? In the other room. Doctor's with her. He gave her a sedative. Awful thing, Sergeant. I just don't know how anyone could be that mean. No, just one reason we can think of. What's that? He's had a lot of practice. a.m., we talked to Mrs. Gunther. She told us pretty much the same story that we'd gotten from her husband. The police car in the area was contacted, but they reported that they hadn't noticed the Gunther car. 
The unit that was patrolling the area around the store was contacted. They reported that they had checked the store at 3.15 a.m. At that time, there were no lights and no suspicious cars in the vicinity. The black masked bandit had been working for over a year. In that time, he'd robbed 59 stores that we knew of. His theater of operations had taken him from Northern California right down to the Mexican border. From the desert to the beach, he'd stolen approximately a half a million dollars. The entire nation had received communications carrying the description of the suspect. The entire facilities of the police and sheriff's departments in Los Angeles were devoted to apprehending him. Thousands of man-hours had gone into stakeouts and searches. None of them produced any results. As the case grew in importance, robbery detail began to get an average of 30 calls a day from well-meaning citizens with information. Every lead, no matter how remote, had to be checked out. This meant more hours of legwork and interrogation. Every officer in the Southland was looking for the bandit. Every car and motorcycle on the streets had his description. None of it did any good. Thursday, October 2nd, 11.05 p.m. Frank and I checked back into the office. Well, there's another one that didn't go anyplace. Yeah. You want to fill out the reports, I'll check the book. Yeah. Never fails, does it, Joe? What's that? Oh, something like this one comes along. Some people use it to get back at their neighbors. Take that deal tonight. Pretty silly, huh? I'd like to know who gave us that tip. There's something kind of sneaky about anonymous phone calls. Well, we'd miss a lot of breaks if we didn't get them. Yeah. You figure we're ever going to nail this guy? Who knows? I'm getting a little punchy. Every time we miss him, we get another pasting. Have you read the papers lately? Well, you got to expect that, Frank. They're probably calling it the way it looks to them. There's only one way to answer him. That's to nail the guy. I'll get it. Robbery Friday. Yeah, that's... What's that? Can you speak a little louder? I can't... That's better. What? Uh Uh-huh. When did this happen? Yeah. What's the address out there? Yeah, the street. Now, give me the number. That's right. All right, you bet. We'll take care of it. Right. Bye. Looks like something here. Market manager's son. Yeah. Says someone's just kidnapped his father. p.m. Frank and I checked the manager's name on the list. We got the address, and seven minutes later, we pulled up in front of the store. In the rear of the store, we could see two men. One was dressed in a bathrobe, the other in a large overcoat with a brown hat pulled down over his eyes. Parked in front of the store was a dark blue 1951 Lincoln. We checked the car and found that it bore the registration of Donald Anderson, the manager. Frank went around to the rear door of the market, and I covered the front entrance. We waited. At 11.42 p.m., the bandit started for the front door. All right, mister, police officer, hold it up there. Come on, drop the gun, give it up. Cop, get out of here! Frank, cover the other side of the building. He's going for that fence, Joe. All right, come on, mister, give it up. You all right, Joe? Yeah, come on, let's get over this fence. All right. He's not over here. No, we missed him. He must have got over that wall. I'll get back to the car and notify the radio units. All right. You think you hit him? I don't know, I might have. Let's check the ground by the fence. You got your flashlight? Yeah, here it is. Hold it, Joe. Huh? Here. See? By the fence. Oh, yeah. Blood stains, quite a few of them. I'll stay here and check. Okay, I'll be right back. Watch yourself. Yeah. Unit 1K80 to control 1. Unit 1K80 to control 1. Control 1 to 1K80. Go ahead. While attempting to arrest market bandit during commission of robbery, he exchanged fire with suspect. Suspect is known to be wounded. Suspect armed, use caution. 
Suspect seen fleeing on foot. All cars in area converge on corner Figueroa and Woodlawn. Suspect described as WMA, 50 to 55 years, 130 to 140 pounds. Block off area at Vernon to Slauson, at Vernon to Slauson, and from Figueroa to Maine. Suspect last seen going through houses at 49th and Figueroa. That's 49 and Figueroa. Roger, 1K, Attention, all units. Attention, all units. All units in the vicinity of 49th and Figueroa. Robbery suspect wounded while attempting robbery at market. Suspect described as WMA, 50 to 55 years, 130 to 140 pounds. Block off area at Vernon to Slauson. Vernon to Slauson. And from Figueroa to Main Streets. Suspect last seen going through houses at 49th and Figueroa. Unit 1K80 to Control 1. Unit 1K80 to Control 1. Control 1, Unit 1K80, go ahead. Suspect is known to be armed. Approach with caution. Use caution. Unit 1K80 to Control 1, KMA 367. All units. Robbery suspect at 49th and Figueroa. Known to be armed. Approach with caution. Repeat. Approach with caution. What do you figure, Frank? Well, he's in there someplace. Let's find him. In the next three hours, 37 police cars combed the area. Every possible hiding place was investigated. A house-to-house search was started. Citizens were asked to lock their doors and to open their homes to no one. In one of the yards, we found the hat and coat worn by the suspect, but apparently he'd made good his escape. Broadcasts were gotten out to the entire city, putting them on the alert. Additional officers were sent to the blockaded area to help with the search. Captain Didion came out from the office to direct the operations. 3.30 a.m., the area had been checked and rechecked. No sign of the suspect. Frank and I went back to our car. I don't know, Joe. The guy's got us jinxed. Seems like everything we do, he's got us beat. It doesn't make much sense, does it? We gotta turn him sometime. Yeah, we've been saying that for a year. Didion was sure in a rare mood tonight. Well, he's got trouble with his stomach again. I'm gonna have trouble with mine if this keeps up much longer. Joe, car. Yeah, take the other side of it. Right. All right, come on out of the car, mister. Come on, we know you're there. Get out. Get out of here, cop! Come on, throw that gun out here. You can't go anywhere. Give it up before you get killed. I ain't coming out. Don't you try to come after me. You haven't got a chance. I dropped a gun. All right. All right, I quit. Got no more shells. I can't fight anymore. I quit. I quit. Please don't shoot anymore. All right, throw that gun out here. Come on. All right, now get out of the car. Keep those hands up. Put them behind your head. Now, right, come on over here. Turn around. Put your hands against the car. Straight out in front of you. I'll shake you. Hey, you're going to call an ambulance for me? I'm hurt. Hey, can't you see I'm hurt? Ain't you going to do anything for me? Please clean, Joe. Right here. Here. Get your hands behind you. I'm going to put in a call for the ambulance. Right. You didn't have to shoot. I would have stopped if I'd known you was cops. You got trouble with your ears? No. We told you we were officers. You built this thing. We just went along with you. A lousy deal anyway. I should have stopped. I should have quit when I was ahead. If I'd have stopped, you guys would have never caught me. Never. They're on the way, Joe. Good. What's your name, mister? Jerry. Jerry Rogers. How old are you? 35. All this time, we're looking for an old man. How do you figure it, Joe? I don't know. Gray hair, big overcoat, and mask. Witnesses didn't get too good a look at him. Yeah. You ever been arrested, Rogers? Yeah, once. Is that ambulance ever going to get here? It's coming. What'd you fall for? Huh? What were you arrested for? Drunk driving. 
Oh, I should have quit. I should have laid off. That's yeah, too bad you didn't figure it that way a little sooner. Look, I don't want any morals. When's that ambulance going to get here? Don't worry about it, Rogers. Huh? You've got a lot of time. The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 4th, trial was held in Department 87, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Gerald Stephen Rogers was tried and found guilty of 12 counts of robbery in the first degree and four counts of kidnapping. He was sentenced to life imprisonment in the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wins, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Ralph Moody, Harry Bartell, Jack Crucian. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. there you have it. Dragnet, The Big Mask, parts one and two, as originally heard in December of 52 and January of 1953. What was that guy driving? What, what did he say? A 50 Ford? 49 Ford? I remember as I, when, when I was a kid, my dad bought a, I think it was a 49 Ford, and it was a lemon. It was a lemon. I mean, we had more, he had more problems with that car wasn't my problem at the time. But I, I, since then, I, I've looked back at those cars, and I've thought to myself, they're the, about the only thing uglier than a 1949 Ford is a 1950 Ford. And about the only thing uglier than a 1950 Ford is a 1951 Ford. Anyway, that's my opinion. What's that, Chester? Chester Chester's signaling me. My chair's making noise. It's squeaking. Yeah, I... Oh, it is bad, isn't it? Yeah, I've got a squeaky chair. Sorry about that. Maybe you could get some oil on it after we go off the air. All right. Here's a song I bet you haven't heard in a very long time. She was on the 16th, on the 16th. I loved her so. But she was too young to fall in love And I was too young to know We'd laugh and we'd sing And do the little things That made my heart glow But she was too young to fall in love And I was too young to know Why did I give my heart so fast it never will happen again But I was a mere lad of 16 I've aged a year since then She was on the 16 On the 16 With eyes that would glow 
But she was too young to fall in love And I was too young to know Then why did you give your heart so fast? Boy, it never will happen again But you were a mere lad of 16 I've aged a year since then She was only 16 Only 16 With eyes that would glow But she was too young To fall in love And I was too young To know But she was too young To fall in love And I was too young to know A lot of songs back in the 50s about teenage angst at falling in love and wanting to get married. And here was another one that was one of my uh, favorites by Lloyd Price. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. 
situation, no complications, nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, Right on our comedy corner this week, we have a very funny episode of the Jack Benny Show. This was originally broadcast in 1955. What we have tonight is a rebroadcast that was done on December 2nd, 1956. It is commonly known as Jack and Don go to the Beverly Wilshire Health Club. Some of the funniest bits, though, take place in the first half of the show, especially the scene with Mel Blank as a baby. Enjoy. The Jack Benny Program, starring Jack Benny with Mary Livingston, Rochester, Dennis Day, Bob Crosby, and yours truly, Don Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the jobs that all men postpone as long as possible is cleaning out the accumulation of junk that gathers in the garage. Well, Jack Benny has put it off as long as possible, and as we look in on him, he and Rochester are busy with this chore. Well, now we're beginning to get somewhere, Rochester. Give all those cans and bottles to the junk man. Give the magazines and papers to the paper drive. Yes, sir. Now, what do you want to do with this bicycle? You haven't used it in many years. Well, let's keep it. I'll use it again if I can ever get tires for it. Of course, they're so hard to get, you know. I know the small one is easy, but that great big front one is murder. Ain't have had it that long? Well, the garage is beginning to look a little better now. What's that? It's the mailman. We're back here in the garage. Okay, I'll bring it there. Gee, I feel sorry for mailmen. They have to walk so much. Well, hello, Mr. Benny. Hello. Here, sit down and rest a while. Oh, gee, thanks. Oh, my feet are killing me. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at them. And, and, and yet those shoes you're wearing seem to be soft and comfortable. I'm not wearing shoes. These are Dr. Scholl's foot pads. <laughs> Here's your mail, Mr. Benny. Just some circulars and this copy of Esquire. Well, just put them there on that box. Eh? Aren't you going to look through your copy of Esquire? Oh, later. <laughs> no wonder you get last when you say you're 39. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, goodbye. Goodbye. Come on, Mr. Benny, let's finish cleaning up the garage. Okay, but first take the mail in the house, and I'll finish up here. Yes, sir. <coughs> Here we got the garage looking pretty good now. Let's see. Better put these garden tools out of the way. I won't be needing them for a while. Oh, for heaven's sake, look at this rifle. I almost forgot about it. I remember I bought it a couple of years ago to go hunting with the musicians. Then at the last minute, I couldn't go. The boy said I missed a real good time. That was a funny thing they told me about Sammy, the drummer. They said that in spite of the fact that he's a great, big, rough, tough guy, he cried like a baby when they shot a duck. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did they say they shot a duck or he forgot to duck? <laughs> I 
I'm going to go next time. It sounds like so much fun shooting Sammy. Eh? <laughs> hello, hello Mr. Spell- Benny. I'm, I came over to tell you oh, that... Oh, hello, Dennis. Hello. I came over to tell you that I... How do you I... feel, kid? Oh, fine. I came over to tell you that I... How'd you know I was in the garage? Rochester told me. Oh. Well, what do you want, Dennis? Well, I came over to tell you that I'm running away from home. <laughs> Another one of these silly things. Uh Uh-uh, not this time. I'm really running away for good. For good? Yeah, and I'm never coming back home again. No kidding, Dennis. Did you tell your mother? She told me. (laughs) Mm, All right, Dennis, tell me. What was the argument about this time? Well, it wasn't my fault. We were arguing over what to watch on television. On television? Uh Uh-huh. I wanted to watch a movie, and my mother wanted to watch The Greatest Fights of the Century. Oh. What a ham. Always hoping they'll show the time she stopped Galento. <laughs> Look, Dennis, this is a very interesting discussion. I'd like to continue it and broaden my mind, but I've got work to do. Oh, what are you doing? I'm cleaning out the garage. Well, what are you going to do with that big pile of junk in the middle? That's my car. <laughs> now, get out of my way. Oh, but Mr. Benny... Look, I... Dennis, if you want to hang around, don't bother me. Let me hear you sing the song you're going to do on the show. Okay.
song sounded awfully good. Yeah, Mr. Day, it was really beautiful. You know, Dennis, the years roll on, I keep telling you what a wonderful singer you are, and sometimes it seems I can't tell you enough. Most singers' voices remain the same, but yours is like old wine that seems to improve with age. <laughs> you know, really, your voice seems to be more vibrant, more mellow, more... Get it over with. i got to find a place to sleep tonight. <laughs> Hey, wait a minute, Dennis. Yeah? I have an empty guest room. You can stay till things quiet down at home. Well, gee, Mr. Benny, that's the nicest thing that anyone ever did for me, and I, I hope you don't think I'm ungrateful, but I couldn't move in here. I, well, I don't like the people in the neighborhood. <laughs> you mean the Colemans? No, you. Rochester, we'll put the magazines on top of the newspaper there. Are you going to ignore him, boss? Yes. If you do, sometimes he goes away. <laughs> I want to clean all the top shelves off and... Uh... Well, say, Mr. Benny, while you and Rochester are working, do you mind if I fool around with this hunting rifle? No, go right ahead. It's loaded. <laughs> now, Rochester, after we clean the shelves... I want to be... Hello, Mr. Benny. Hello, everybody. Well, Mr. Kitson. I rang the doorbell, and when nobody answered, I came back here to the garage. Well, I'm glad you did. Say, Mr. Kissel, I just noticed. Isn't your jaw a little swollen? Yeah, my nephew just opened up a dentist's office, and I went to him this morning. Oh, and you had a tooth pulled? Five of them. You had five bad teeth? Only one bad. <laughs> then how come you let him pull the other four? He's a beginner. He needs the experience. <laughs> oh. But he's going to be a very, very good dentist, believe me. You know, he's still studying hard. He wants to specialize in stopping pain. He's studying the nerves of the teeth. Really? Yeah. You should see how delicately that gentleman works. He removes the knives from the teeth and hangs them on tiny little racks. Guys, that must be hard work. It's knife racking. Kitzel, you went through all that just to tell me a joke. <laughs> My... <laughs> I guess I'm still a little silly from the laughing gas he gave me. And he used laughing gas as an anesthetic. Huh? Yes, and you know something, it's the silliest thing. He puts the pliers in my mouth, turns on the gas, and it starts. I'm laughing, he's pulling. He's pulling, I'm laughing. Oh, such a mishmash. I never had that. How long did you keep laughing? Until he handed me the bill. No. Yeah. Oh, that's the phone, boss. Want me to go in the house and answer it? No, I want to go in and get a glass of water anyway. Well, I better go now. Uh, me too. Excuse me, I'll see you later, fella. So long.
Hello? Oh, hello, Claudette. Nice of you to call. Dinner? Saturday night? Oh, sure, sure. Goodbye. Oh, Rochester, we have to have Miss Colbert's uh, tablecloths ready by Saturday night. <laughs> Then maybe... Oh, the front door. Hello, Jack. Oh, hello, Don. Come on in. You know, Don, when the doorbell rang, I knew it was you standing on the front porch. How did you know? Because I didn't have to walk to the door. I slid. It was downhill. <laughs> it was that simple. Ha, ha, ha. Some joke. Very funny. Huh? Big comedian. Always making cracks at my expense. Don, I don't know why you should always be so sensitive about it. After all, you are fat. I'll tell you why I resent it. It's not my fault I'm so heavy. It's my glands. Your glands? Yeah, they weigh 200 pounds. <laughs> Haven't you got a small gland, like 75 pounds? Look, it's about time you stop kidding me about being fat. Everybody who knows you says you're becoming somewhat chubby yourself. Me? That's ridiculous. For the past dozen years, my weight has always been 160 pounds. Oh, yeah? Well, I'll bet you weigh a lot more than 160 pounds right now. Don, I'll prove to you that you're wrong. Now, follow me. I have some scales in the bathroom. We'll see just how much I do weigh. Here we are. Now, here. Here's the scale. I'll get on. All right, I'm on it, Don. Yeah, yeah, and look what it says. 169 pounds. Say, it does say that. Can't understand how I gained so much. Oh, I know what the extra nine pounds is. No, I left my wallet in my other pants. <laughs> yeah, I am gaining weight. Don, you get on. I want to see how much you weigh. Well, all right. I never saw that before. A card coming out of a bathroom scale. It's not a card. That's a spring. <laughs> See, imagine me being so much overweight. I'm going to go right on a diet and eat nothing but rye crisp and lettuce. Oh, Jack, that's fine. But I'll tell you something. I just started. What? Well, last week I joined the Beverly Wilshire Health Club and I exercise in the gym over there. I take steam baths and massages and everything. Hey, that sounds great. Yeah, it is. In fact, I'm on my way there now. How about you joining me? Don, you got a deal. Let's go. Don, where's your car? If you want to lose weight, you got to walk a lot. You're right. I'll tell Rochester I'm leaving. Oh, Rochester. Yes, boss? I'm going over to the Beverly Wilshire Health Club. Shall I get your car out? No, I'm going to walk. Howard! <laughs> stop with those cracks about my car. Come on, Don, let's go. Ah, gee, it's a nice day. Yeah. I love walking here in Beverly Hills. Say, Jack. What? Isn't that your neighbor's nurse over there pushing the baby carriage? Oh, yes. You know, that baby must be over a year old now. Such a smart baby, too. Yeah, and awfully cute, too. Yeah, here they come. Hello, you cute little thing. 
Goochie, goochie, goochie. Goochie, goochie, goochie. Jack, Jack, leave the nurse alone. Pay attention to the baby. <laughs> oh, yes, my glasses are so thick. Say, nurse, it sure is a sweet baby, isn't it? You mean, monsieur, that a baby très bonne. Listen to that. Now, don't cry. Here's a little game that all babies like. Now, pay attention, baby. This little piggy went to market. This little piggy stayed home. This little piggy had roast beef, and this little piggy had none. And this little piggy cried, wee, 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 wee. Jack, Jack, if you want to get to the club, we better get going. Okay. Wait till I put my shoe on. <laughs> Goodbye, baby. Au revoir, mademoiselle. Au revoir. You know, when she first came over here, she was a displaced person. Really? Well, everything seems to be in the right place now. Don, let's go. Yeah. Oh, and Jack, the first thing we'll do when we get to the club is take a steam bath, huh? Oh, yeah, that's what we'll have. <laughs> How long have we been in the steam room now, Don? No, oh, about a half hour. You will have to get out soon. I can't take too much of this heat, you know. It is awfully hot in here. I'll say. Boy, I haven't sweated like this since they closed the banks in 1933. <laughs> now, let's get out of here. Okay. Here, Jack, put on these trunks. Gee, this club provides everything. It? Yeah, it really does. Now, let's put on these terry cloth bathrobes and go into the gym and meet the instructor. I'm right with you, then. Oh, here's the instructor now. Oh, uh, hello, Mr. Wilson. <laughs> oh, hello, K.O. Jack, this is K.O. Stevens. K.O., this is Jack Benny. Hey. Uh, Jack Benny from radio and television? <laughs> yeah, pleased to meet you, K.O. Uh, the feeling is mutual. You know, Jack, K.O. used to be a prize fighter. Yeah, that's right, Mr. Benny. I had my first fight in 1940. Really? Yeah. Yep. I spent 12 years in a ring. 12 years, huh? Yep, but I finally came to, got up, and went home. Oh. Uh, okay, gentlemen, take off your bat robes. All okay. right. Uh, now, before we start, Mr. Benny, uh, I want to see your physique so uh, I can know what exercises to give you. Uh, turn around a couple times. All right. Well, how do I look? No wonder you get laughs when you say you're 39. 
What? Hmm. <laughs> well, I think I'll start you and Mr. Wilson off with a regular bending exercises. Uh, you ready? I'm ready, K.O. Me too. Yeah, okay, now as I count, bend down and touch the floor. Okay. Okay. One, two, three, four. Bend down and touch the floor. <laughs> One, two, three, three. Mr. 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 Wilson. Mr. Wilson, you 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 ain't doing it right. What's wrong? You're supposed to touch the floor with your fingers, not your stomach. <laughs> yes, Don, you're not getting any benefit out of this. Hey, uh, look, I-, I think that'll be all for today. That's all? Yeah, there's no sense in overdoing it the first time. <laughs> Say, K.O., I-, I don't want to get personal, but I'd like to ask you why boxers always do that. Do what? Uh, whenever boxers talk, they go all the time. Well, I don't know why the rest of them do it, but I got a cold. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad you explained that. Hmm? Yeah. Well, I'll go back in the steam room for about ten minutes before going home. Oh, uh, okay, come on, Don. Let's see. This is this. This is the steam room here. <coughs> Gee, the steam is much thicker than when we left. I can't see a thing. Yeah, same here. Doesn't seem as hot though. Yeah. Let's see if we can find a place to sit down. I can't see. Neither can I, but follow me. Maybe we can find... Whoops. Sorry I bumped into you. That's all right. I can't see a thing either. (laughs) Don! Don! What's a woman doing in the steam room? This is no steam room. This is Santa Monica Boulevard. be darned. The smog is awful. <laughs> Come on, Don. Let's get back in. Jack will be back in just a moment, but first... Friends, every minute, day and night, a destructive fire starts. And in nine out of ten cases, most fires start because someone is careless. Be on guard constantly against fire. Remember, only you can prevent fires. Thank you. Gee, Don, that was the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me, being out in the street like this. Yeah, glad we found our way back into the club. Yeah. Well, here's the sign, steam room. Let's go in, Don. Hey, nice and warm in here. I still can't see a thing. 
I'm going to sit down. Ouch! Hey, you're sitting on me, mister. Dennis, what are you doing here in the steam room? I told you how to find a place to sleep tonight. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Good night, Dennis. Good night, everybody. Jack Benny Show tonight was written by Sam Perrin, Milt Josephberg, George Balzer, John Tackerberry, Hal Goldman, Al Gordon, and produced and transcribed by Hilliard Marks. This is Don Wilson inviting you to join us for the best of Benny again next week at this same time. Jack Benny Show from December 2nd, 1956. The way the audience reacted when Mel Blank did that baby, it it must have really been funny to see. I, I bet he was making faces like at the audience or faces at Jack or something because the audience, I mean, it was funny to hear it, but to hear the audience, there was an inside joke there and it, I, I would have loved to have known exactly what was going on. But anyway... That was a fun episode. There was a couple good things in there. That The part with Mel Blank playing the, the trainer was very good, too. And uh, Mr. Kitzel is always a delight. The Jack Benny Show. More Jack Benny Shows in the weeks ahead. you hear that music, doesn't it just take you back to Dodge City, Kansas? Circa 1874. Walking up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're going to meet up with Doc and Kitty and Chester and the whole gang on Gunsmoke. Pretty good episode tonight. Originally was broadcast on CBS back on the 13th of March, 1954. 
It has one of those interesting titles that seems to have nothing to do with the show until you sort of analyze it and realize that the title is an analogy for the story or the subject of the story that is being presented tonight. The title is Confederate Money, and here it comes. Dodge City and in the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad. The story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. building up the fire this time of night for? More light. See better. See what? Nothing. I just want more light, that's all. Mister, ever since we met on the trail back there this afternoon, you've been watching me. We're strangers, ain't we? Sure. You've been watching me, too? I did at first, but I trust you now. Crawl back in your blanket. Okay. Better. Now go to sleep, will you? You going to sleep? I'd like to watch the stars a little while first. Ain't no stars by me. I can see them over your shoulder there. Laying on my back gives me the ache. Gives me the ache, too. We've got a lot in common, mister. Yeah? You never told me what name you go by. You never told me, neither. I'm gone if you ain't the most suspicious man I ever run into. I'm still alive. You ought to quit worrying so much you get old before your time. My pa taught me to worry. Who's your pa? He's dead. Died worrying, probably. No. No, he died of the milk sickness. He's a good man, though. Ain't any good man. He was. Why? What he believed in. What did he believe in? Well, he always said he believed in foot washing, saving your seed potatoes, and paying your honest debts. Your pa was crazy. I'm going crazy if I don't get the bugs out of this blanket. Shake them out. I'm going to.
kill him first shot. Well, now I can get me some sleep. me how you know which way to go, Mr. Dillon. That's easy, Chester. Yeah, but all the fella said was he'd found a man's body some 20 miles east of Dodge. You've been riding like you knew right where it was laying. Well, he was a teamster, Chester. I'd just been following his wagon tracks, that's all. Oh. <laughs> I don't know, Mr. Dillon. Maybe I shouldn't never leave Dodge. Chester, there he is straight ahead there. Do you see? Yes, that must be it, all right. Come on. Oh. Oh. Well, look at there. He's still in his blanket. Yeah. Looks like he was shot right in the heart. Well, at least the poor fella died in his sleep. Well, he must have come half awake. His hands on his gun. He never got it out, though. Somebody sure jumped him fast. Say, maybe it was Indian. No. No, his hair's still on. Now, besides... Somebody was sleeping over here. I declare. Who do you suppose it was? I don't know, Chester. But he couldn't be a very brave man. No, sir, he sure couldn't. A dirty coward. Go get that shovel off your saddle, huh, Chester? Yes, sir. Mr. Dillon, it's worth a long ride like that if only to work up a good thirst. <laughs> I've seen you work up a good thirst just sitting around, Chester. Yes, sir. I'm just lucky, I guess. <laughs> well, I never heard it called that before. Give me a glass of beer, barkeep. Beer nothing. Give him whiskey. I don't want whiskey. Ain't you man enough to drink whiskey? Drink it? When I want it. I don't believe you do. Drink some now. I ain't bothering you. Can't a man come in here and have what he wants? Cowboy, ain't you? What's wrong with being a cowboy? Nothing. Only I always thought it took a man to be a cowboy. You trying to start trouble, mister? I listen to him. <laughs> What's so funny about that? I killed a man once for telling me not to laugh. I telling you nothing? Mister, I think you're a coward. You got a gun in your belt. Go ahead, use it. What for? So you can kill me and call it self-defense? 
All right, that's enough. Leave him alone. What are you mixing in this for? I don't like gunfighting around here. You Mr. don't like it. I'm a U.S. Marshal. Oh, Marshal. Now, what's your name, stranger? I'm called Kriegel. All right, Kriegel, move down the bar. Go on, move. I'll see you later, cowboy. <laughs> I wouldn't have dared draw on him, Marshal. I ain't no gunman. He, he'd have killed me, sure. Yeah, he probably would have. My name's Jesse Hill, Marshal. I'm proud to know you. Well, Jesse, you keep that gun in your belt, huh? And stay away from Kriegel? <laughs> I ain't no troublemaker. Yeah, I know. But sometimes a man can't avoid it. Not around somebody like him. <laughs> well, I, I think I'll do my drinking across the street. See you later, Jesse. Yeah, so long. That Kriegel's an awful mean man, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, he's mean, all right. Especially when he's sure the other man hasn't got a chance. wonder where he came from. I never saw him around here before. Now, he's new in Dodge, Chester. Let me tell you something. It had to be that kind of a man who killed that cowboy we buried today. Well, you think it was him? Well, he could have done it. He's enough of a coward. But if he did, no one could ever prove it. Uh, no, sir, I guess not. But he'll make a mistake yet, Chester. His kind always do. You like that material, Kitty? I'd like to make a dress of it. That's all you have, Mr. Jonas? Mm, afraid so. But I'll order more if you want it. How long will it take? Mm, a few weeks is all. Okay. I'll need about uh, seven yards. Mm. You'll have it, Kitty. Mm. And say, mm? look here. Mm. These new parasols. Oh. They just come on the Santa Fe today. From St. Louis. Hello, Matt. Hello, Kitty. Ah, Mr. Jonas. Uh, your coat's out back, Marshal. Oh, you can go try it on if you want. Oh, <laughs> new coat, huh? I'd like to see it, Matt. Well, you wait here, Kitty, and I'll just go put it on. <laughs> sure hope it fits. I had a parcel of trouble talking him into ordering that coat. Well, he's needed it ever since I've known him. Mm. Men just don't like new things, Kitty. Yeah. Now, is there uh, anything else? Ah, uh, no. That's all for today. How much do I owe you? Mm. Yeah, let's see here, uh... I'll have to add it up. Well, now, there's a right pretty girl. Go on back to your hogs, mister. <laughs> Salty, too. I like that. Oh, now, now, look here, stranger. I don't pay this... any attention to him, Mr. Jonas. You got it figured? Well, it comes to uh, about uh, $2.40, kid. Uh -huh. I'll pay it. What? I says I'll pay it. You'll do nothing of the kind. Put it on my bill, Mr. Oh, Jonas. there you are. I like to buy things for pretty girls, providing they let me carry the package home for them. Now get out of here and leave me alone or I'll hit you again. Maybe you're a little too salty. Maybe what you need is a ch... Go ahead, Krigo. Finish what you were going to say. I'm 
No business of yours. I want to hear what you were going to say. She slapped me. You saw her. Get out of the way, Kitty. Gladly. Now, let's not fight. Be quiet, Mr. Jonas. Yes, sir. Grego, I think you're a coward. I'm going to prove it. What are you up to? That cowboy Jesse wouldn't draw on you. But I will. Are you ready? No. There, I got my gun out and you didn't do a thing, did you? I ain't drawing on you. <laughs> All right, now get out of here, Kriegel. And if I ever see you anywhere near Miss Kitty again, I'm going to break your neck. Now go on, get out. He sure showed his colors, Matt. Yeah. You know, I think that's the first time I ever saw you draw first on a man. Well, I figured he wouldn't draw, Kitty. How'd you know? Krigo doesn't take any chances. And right now, I'm wondering how many more men he's going to kill before he's through. Chester? I'm back here, Mr. Dillon. Well, come out front, huh? time to ride out to Fort Dodge, if you don't mind me saying so. Tell me what happened, Chester. I hear that you witnessed it. Yes, sir. I was right there, Mr. Dillon. Grigo agged him into drawing first. Uh, self-defense again, is that it? Yes, sir. The poor fellow was awful slow. And you know what Grigo did? What? Well, he shot him in the gun arm first, then through both knees. And finally, he shot him in the belly and killed him. There's nothing I could do once they'd started. Yeah. Who was he, Chester? A fellow named Lydacker that told me. Some stranger. Huh? Why don't you run Krigo out of town? Ah, uh, running him out of Dodge would just mean he'd go murder somebody someplace else, Chester. Well, at least he wouldn't be doing it here. Yeah, I know. But somehow I... I'd feel responsible for letting him get away. Vermins like that oughtn't be allowed to live. Well, he wouldn't be alive if he wasn't so careful about picking the man he shoots. No, oh, sir. Oh, say, Doc was down a little while ago. Huh? He's through with autopsy and wants to know who's going to bury that fellow. Yeah. Uh, did he have any friends? Yes, sir. That cowboy Krigo tried to fight Jesse Hill. Oh. I think he was a friend of his. He helped carry him up to Doc's anyway, and he seemed real mad about it all. Quiet, you know, but mad. Uh, that could lead to trouble. How do you mean? Well, Jesse backed off from Krigo once, but... Uh... I go looking for him now. I don't think he'd have a chance. Then we'd sure better find him, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, Chester, we better. Come on. Maybe Jesse left town, Mr. Dillon. Well, I hope so. But we haven't looked every place yet. Somebody said he had a room at the Dodge house. Oh? 
Seems to be pretty fancy for a line writer, doesn't it? We've probably spent six months' pay in the last few days. They always do. Well, they can't spend it out on the prairie, Chester. I guess it doesn't mean much to them. Yeah, I know, but you'd think they'd save a little money, a few dollars at least. Oh. Uh, tell me something, Chester. Hmm? When were you at the bank last? Well, I keep my money in my sock, Mr. Dillon. It's safer. Oh, oh, maybe, yeah. Isn't that kind of tough on the merchants when you go to spend it, though? Well, nobody ain't turned it down yet. Money's money. Wait a minute. There's Jesse across the plaza there. Yeah, and that's Krigo he's talking to. Come on. Hey, it looks like they're having an argument, Mr. Dillon. Yeah. You gonna stop it? Well, if I can. Krigo! Jesse! They're about to fight, Mr. Dillon. Hold it, Jesse! All right, Krigo. Put your gun away. Sure. He tried to shoot me, Marshal. You saw him. He's dead, Mr. Dillon. Well, that was pretty easy for you, wasn't it, Krigo? He shouldn't have tried it, Marshal. I told him not to. You're lying. I heard what you told him. Well, what difference does it make? He drew first. I shot him in self-defense. Yeah, sure. Krigo, did you know that man you killed the other night was Jesse Hill's friend? Jesse was telling me that just now. Well, I got an idea. You talked him into drawing just to work Jesse up to a fight. He was both a couple of bums, Marshal. How about that man out on the prairie? Was he a bum? What man? The one that was lying wrapped in his blanket. I don't know what you're talking about, Marshal. Krigo. How long you been killing people? Marshal, I killed my first man when I was 18. Fella tried to knife me, so I shot him. I'll tell you something else. I ain't wanted by the law, nowheres, nowheres at all. Did you ever fight a man who could handle a gun? What do you mean? You will someday, Krigo. You'll make a mistake and pick on the wrong man. Will I, Marshal? Oh, I'm going to go and get me a drink. Ain't there nothing you can do about him, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, there's one thing I can do, Chester. At first, we'll get Jesse and his friend buried. Standing at the bar of the Alphaganza, Mr. Dillon. All right, Chester. You gonna take him in? No. I'd just have to turn him loose sooner or later. Well, what are you gonna do? Something I've never done before, Chester. But if it works, it'll save some lives. How? Well, you'll see. He was bragging about already killing two men since he's been in Dodge. Well, he'll go right on killing men if he isn't stopped. He's like one of them hound dogs that gets a taste of blood in his mouth and, and sort of goes crazy with it, ain't he? Yeah, that's what he's like. Okay. Here we are. 
Is there anything you want me to do, Mr. Dillon? Yes, there is, Chester. What? Well, you'll know when the time comes. But stay out of the way. Yes, sir. Rigo. What do you want now, Marshal? I've been thinking about you, Grigo. And I've decided that uh, you're not fit to live. You got no call, Marshal. I killed them men in self-defense. Sure. Ain't no court in the world that'd convict me. I'm plumb innocent. I'm not talking about hanging you. What are you talking about? Grigo, I'm going to walk out of here and wait for you in the street. And I'm going to wait one minute. And if you're not there in one minute, I'm coming back. What for? I'm going to kill you. No. No, I ain't going to fight you. Yes, you are. One minute, Grigo. You, you killed him. Yeah. He had his gun out. He, he'd have shot you right in the back. Thanks for letting me know, Chester. Oh, oh my goodness. Is that what you wanted me to do? Yeah, that was it. Well... Suppose I hadn't saw him. Well, then Krigo would have killed another man. I feel kind of sick. <laughs> you did fine, Chester. I remember, Chester. It was more than one life you just saved. Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin, Vic Perrin, Howard Culver, and Richard Deacon. Harley Bear is Chester, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Gunsmoke has been selected by the Armed Forces Radio Service to be heard by our troops overseas. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal... Fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow night on most of these stations, observing the end of Amos and Andy's 26th year of entertaining America... Jack Benny, Bing Crosby, Edward R. Murrow, and Lowell Thomas join a distinguished cast in tribute to Freeman Gosden and Charles Correll, the men who are Amos and Andy. Tomorrow evening on CBS Radio, don't miss this star-studded Amos and Andy anniversary show. George Walsh speaking. For mystery mixed with merriment, 
Join Mr. and Mrs. North Tuesday evenings on the CBS Radio Network. Is originally heard on CBS back on the 13th of March in the year of 1954. That was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was Confederate Money. As always, there's more Gunsmoke coming up next time. May God bless and keep you always. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others and let others do for you. May you build a ladder to the stars and climb on every rung. May you stay. Oh, and-
Well, folks, that's going to kick things in the head for another week. But don't worry, we'll be back in two weeks. We'll do it all over again and we'll have a whole new slate of shows. Hope everything is going well for you so far this summer, that you're staying cool. I'm glad you decided to spend a couple of hours with us and I hope you enjoyed our selection. So come back and see us again next time. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by and I'm so glad you met me.